Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we help make families the best they can be. We're pleased to be joined by marriage counsellor and family expert Derek Boylan for what we are calling the Focus Sessions, aimed at helping families with relationship issues. Together with Derek, over a number of these sessions, we will explore the most pressing issues facing families today. We hope you enjoy and find this series valuable. Derek Boylan joins us for another focus session. This time we're looking at work-life balance. Uh, hi there, Derek. This is an interesting one, and I imagine a lot of families will have problems around this. It sure is, David, and it's, uh, it's good to be back. I think probably one of the trickiest areas for all families to work out how to manage is that balance between work and uh, and then everything else that needs to sort of fit in around that in terms of life. It's definitely a, a difficult area. And, uh, and something that every, every couple, every family have to work through. Now, in a bygone era, most women stayed at home to look after the kids while the man was the main breadwinner. Today, that's all changed, of course, so many couples need to work, both of them, to keep afloat. In the work-life balance for families, uh, more of an issue today than, say, 40 years ago, or has it just been a problem all along? Look, it's hard to say. I think probably it is, uh, uh, it is a challenge for couples working out uh, um, that balance, and maybe more so nowadays than in the past. It's um, certainly it's, it's it's a funny irony that we've sort of as we got more and more computers and more computing power, we thought people will have less to to do and we'll have more leisure time. And yet, I think probably all of us would agree that we feel more busy and more frantic than we've ever been before. That as our our capacity for work, you know, just expands, expands, so does our work. Um, and you know, it's a thing where work is, I guess, it's necessary for family life. It's something that we really need to be able to build a healthy family. Um, you know, we need bills that need to be paid and clothes and food, but certainly too much work, you know, really detracts from life and it can eat away at family happiness and connection and, and support and closeness. So it's, it is a, a big challenge. And I think, you know, maybe even more so, uh, for couples where both people are working because it's a, a challenge now to balance work for two people. Uh, along with everything that still has to be done. So the chores, um, our extended families and time with them, spending time with our children, um, and then trying to work into all of that mix, you know, our own time as a couple to be with one another, to talk about things that are important and connect, and also our own personal time, you know, time just doing the hobbies and the interests and the pursuits that make life fulfilling for us as individuals. There's a lot to try and fit into uh, a very short 168 hours in each week. Oh, exactly right. Do you think there'll ever be a day where we'll get the balance right or is it just a pipe dream? You know, in one way, I kind of wonder if it is a pipe dream. I think that, uh, as I said, we thought the computers would save us time and yet we're busier than ever. But I don't think that's the case for everyone, David. I think that there are some couples and families who make very intentional choices to do things differently in their homes. To, to work actively towards building a really great balance between work, which is necessary and can be fulfilling, but also the other areas of life that are fulfilling to them as well. And I think when they do that uh, and they, you know, they lean into that, the difficulty of working out, well, how does that look for our individual family? Because every family is different. Every family work environment is going to be different. You know, my experience has been that I've met some families who have managed to find beautiful ways of balancing those. An example would be, uh, a couple that uh, that used to live over the road from Karen and I, they're close friends of ours, and uh, and they've worked fly-in, fly-out work for many, many years, he has. 
and certainly I've seen a lot of the stresses and a lot of the pressures that flying play out work um, uh, creates in couple relationships sitting in my very counseling rooms uh, in the agency but uh, but I look at uh, this particular couple and I think you know what for the last 20 years you've made it work really well for your family and uh, and you really have worked out how to get that balance between um, work life and home life and how to make the most of the time that you have together as a family so it can be done yeah is that a, a, a two week on two week off type scenario Look, he's worked in all sorts of different scenarios in the last 20 years that we've known them. He's had, you know, six weeks, you know, away and three weeks at home and he's had two on and two off and, uh, and one on and one off. And, uh, and, and yet each time as a couple, they work at working out, well, what's the way to make this work for our family life? And, uh, and I think, you know, good on them for being really intentional. It's, uh, it's really, and they've got a beautiful family as a result. Yeah, I guess that's a good example of how you couples can make anything work um, if they're both on the same song sheet, so to speak, then uh, anything can work. Uh, absolutely. I think it can. And almost every obstacle that we face as families can be overcome if we put in the, the right effort and we're willing to really persevere. Right. Now, Derek, the work-life equation can lead to all sorts of stresses on families, as we've discussed, financial and otherwise. Any tips on what couples can do to uh, ease these pressures? Yeah, I think, I guess one of the things that really occurred to me, David, uh, some time ago was, um, was that we talk about this work-life balance and, uh, and I've really struggled, you know, I guess in my own life to work out how does the, how does the balance bit work? You know, that, um, that we sort of think about, when I think about the idea or the, the metaphor of work-life balance, I think of a sort of a set of scales. And, uh, and on one side, I've got life, all the other things I like to do in life. And, uh, and then on the other, on the opposite side of the scale, I've got work. <clears throat> and uh, and and it's about trying to work out how to to get these two things even to try and balance them out. But of course, in a way, that can never be the case because work is a part of life. So you know, all of life is always going to sort of feel heavy. You know, as we try to work out that that what's the right way to get things even. And, yeah. uh, and Karen and I had actually a long conversation about this about a year ago about, you know, is work-life balance even the right metaphor for, for thinking about these kinds of pressures? And, uh, and instead, we came to the idea that really what we're striving for is work-life harmony. You know, that, uh, that a better metaphor than a balance, uh, a set of scales for working out work and life, is actually more like an orchestra, more like music. You know, that in our life, yeah. we have lots and lots of different notes that go into making up our life you know some of it is extended family some of it is work and our children and uh, and our own couple relationship our own personal interests and what we're really trying to do is work out a way to be able to live life so that we're living in harmony knowing that these are all parts of our life how do we help these work together in yeah. a way that helps us to achieve more fulfillment now that i guess you know when i think about it in the context of a, a musical metaphor well, sometimes music is fast and it's really enjoyable and other times it's very slow and relaxed and it's also enjoyable. Yes. And I think, you know, uh, that's sort of what life is like, that, um, that as we try to work out what are the balance between all these stresses, we're trying to work out a way of talking about the challenges and the, and the things that we need to work through as a family and to live in a way that we have harmony. And sometimes the pace is going to be quite fast. You know, but if it's harmonious, actually, it feels all right. You know, we can cope with that. And at other times, it's going to feel more chilled and relaxed, and that's great as well. And we look forward to those moments. 
But yes. I guess we don't stress so much about the pressures if we feel that things are are in harmony with one another. And so I yeah. guess that uh, to me is sort of maybe a, a more helpful metaphor for thinking about things. Um, and certainly there are days in the week where some days, you know, the, the pace, the music is faster and other days it's, it's slower and that's okay as well. That's the nature of a, of a Tuesday or a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, but working out that harmony so that we know that we feel that you know, things are still, I guess, you know, as we talked about, in balance. Sure. Keeping in uh, with the orchestral metaphor, would that mean the uh, percussion section would be uh, representing conflict? Yeah, look, I think conflict can be good. You know, I think we've talked about this quite a bit in the past, David, haven't we? About we how have. we sort of think of conflict as, as a negative thing, and certainly it can be toxic. But sometimes a good argument is really helpful in a relationship. It helps us to get further. We grow, we learn about each other and, and our needs and our uh, our wants and uh, um, and how we respond and we understand expectations more clearly and uh, and we grow as a couple. And uh, you know what? Sometimes I think we do need that percussion section in there. I'm sure we do. Though I would prefer the string section myself, but then we're all different. Yes, the high notes definitely help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, in that sense, you know, you know what we've been talking about over a very, several weeks is, you know, having intimacy is important. Communication is important you know, understanding each other's love maps, you know, love languages, you know, when we can weave all of these things into our relationships, that's when it really becomes musical. Yeah, no, exactly. Are there signs for, for couples, uh, especially early on in their relationship, that things aren't gelling, that they should look for? Yeah, I actually think that's a real skill for couples to develop, David. And, and I really encourage couples, especially in the early stages of marriage, to identify the signs to start to become more aware of the signs that things aren't harmonious. You know, often when things aren't harmonious in our relationships, there are certain indicators, certain signs that sort of start to show up a little bit in our relationship that sort of, if we're attuned to it, can warn us, hang on a minute, we need to do something here. We need to address something. So to give you a couple of examples, um, uh, in my relationship with Karen, when uh, things are just coming a little bit unstuck, you know, a couple of the signs that often show up, one is uh, when we become irritable with one another uh, about little things, things that don't even really matter, you know, that you kind of think afterwards, oh, why did I let that get yeah. to me? You know, they yeah. didn't put the, the butter plate in the dishwasher, uh, you know, but, but we sort of have a, a more frustrated response than maybe the situation warrants. You know, if I can sort of tune into that and kind of go, all right, hang on a minute, there's something else here. We're not really connecting. Something's out of balance here and we need to, to work on that. Uh, another example for me, for instance, is if I start keeping score, you know, that sometimes couples can fall into this pattern, this way of thinking, it kind of sounds like, you know, how many times have you done the dishes this week compared to how many times <laughs> have I, how many dirty nappies did you change this weekend compared to, to me? Yes. I guess in, um, you know, in really healthy, fulfilling, loving marriages, we don't really do things because it's our turn to do things. We do it because we love that person, because we want to contribute to family life. Sure. So if I find myself thinking that way, it's a good sign that things aren't quite the way that they should be. Uh, and maybe we should have a conversation about how we're managing our day-to-day our -day life. Um, aside for Karen, is, uh, is it sort of a, it's a funny one. She sort of finds that often there are things <clears throat> that she knows that she needs to talk to me, but inside she has a sort of an internal response that kind of goes, oh, what's the point? You know, like, there's no point yeah. having a conversation about it. And so if she finds herself going into that space inside where she kind of goes, I know I probably should talk about this, but I don't want to talk about it, that that's actually a sign for her. You know what? We actually need to, to stop and take a bit of time as a couple 
uh, or as a family and maybe work through what's going on here uh, and sure. work it out. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And especially for younger couples when they're still sort of working things out, um, it, it, there might be difficulties there that they, they don't necessarily see. Mm. Absolutely. It's a, it's an it's a early stages of a relationship and we don't really know how we react in certain situations. So it is a, a high learning curve. Um, and, and I'd encourage young couples, ask other couples, you know, about their experiences. How did they manage that? Especially couples who've had good, strong, long-lasting marriages, you know, as they hear different stories, often things will sort of stand out for them. Oh, yeah, that's us. That's, that's what happens in our relationship when maybe we don't get the harmony right, you know, in terms of daily life. So it's, uh, it's good to learn from these other more experienced couples. Yes, and you, you've made that clear in a few of these focus sessions that uh, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Uh, it's a sign of strength. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a sign of strength always to know when to ask for help. We know that intuitively in other areas of our life. You know, we go to the doctor or we call an accountant or an electrician. Um, but actually for relationships, it's just the same. Mm, absolutely. Derek, uh, can couples learn to navigate the stresses and pressures of the work-life roundabout? They certainly can. Uh, and I think firstly, by um, talking to one another. Um, you know, if they're frustrated with uh, how sort of harmony or disharmony is going in their relationship, then, uh, then they should start a conversation with their partner about that or their other family members. Um, you know, children as well. You know, often we have that experience where things just aren't working quite right in our relationship with our children to raise a conversation. Because the reason for that is that often if we're feeling that frustration inside, they are probably experiencing the frustration inside too. You know, we're often not alone. It's just that we're not talking about it. Yes. And so, uh, so being willing to open that conversation and open that discussion and, and have that with, uh, with the person. Um, you know, some of my best memories, you know, in terms of really, really great, healthy conversations that Karen and I have had are simply saying, to Karen or Karen saying to me, you know, I'm just feeling really frustrated with our family life right now and can we talk about that? I don't feel like it's kind of the way that, that we'd like it to be. And, and, and often the immediate response from Karen has been, yes, that's exactly how I'm feeling inside as well. So let's, uh, let's yeah. see what we can sort of work out. I guess the second thing is also accepting that, you know, in some ways moments of disharmony is normal. It's a, it's, a, it's a normal part of life to experience disharmony from time to time. And often when we experience it, that's a prompt that it's time for change. You know, family lives aren't going to stay the same always. You know, for our little tiny kids, their bedtime is 8 o'clock, but, you know, their bedtime's not going to be 8 o'clock once they turn 17. So at some point, there's going to be a negotiation, a renegotiation, a change, you know, in all of that. And, uh, and so sometimes when we feel those moments of disharmony, it's not that there's something wrong. It's actually very normal, and it's a prompt for us to know that, all right, this is a time for change. We need to have a conversation about how that change is going to take place. Yeah, no, fair enough. Just to, for, for interest's sake, for your uh, youngest, do they um, grizzle and carry on knowing that the older children in your household are still up when they're going to go oh, going to bed? It's, it's horrendously <laughs> unjust that the older yes. siblings get to stay up. <laughs> yes. you know, and, and, uh, and, and, that, and it's okay that they get to stay up half an hour or an hour later, but then if they get to stay up a little bit later than that, wow, well, how come I don't get to stay up later? <laughs> yeah. uh, Fireworks. Yeah, and there's no explaining to them that, you know what, when you turn 12, you also will be able to stay up late. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I, I remember that. The things changed about 12. You, you, got a, you got an extra hour or an hour and a half at night, I think. Yes, that's right. That's how it is with our house. Yep, yep. You get an yeah. extra hour after uh, on your bedtime. 
and uh, but it's uh, and for the next one down, you know, when uh, when one turns twelve, suddenly it's unfair that they don't have to go to the bed at the same time as me. Yeah, <laughs> well, you turn, well, you're also going to get to stay up for an hour. Yeah, yeah, tug of war within families. Oh, it is. It is a tug of war, isn't it? You know, in a way, it's actually really good. I think, David. You know, it's what it is. Is they're they're fighting for something better, right? Like they're fighting for yeah. like you know, like to be able to stay up longer themselves. And often yeah. when I see couples as well for counselling or families who are struggling, you know, they're struggling because they are also fighting for something better. You know, in, in a way, I hope when they're 80 years old, they're still fighting for something better, you know, that they want more out mm. of their relationships and they want more out of life. They just have to find the right way to have those conversations so that they have a greater chance of getting something better too. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, you've mentioned harmony a few times. Um, is organisation and setting goals a key to a more harmonious family home? Yeah, it sure is. I think um, when I think of uh, our our home, you know, as uh, I think we've talked about before, Karen and I have eight children, and um, and I, I, you know, I look at our home and I think we are probably more organised than we have ever been in history, you know, in our lives. Yeah. Um, and yet we only ever rise to sort of the level of organisation that allows us to cope, right? So yeah. it still looks yeah. like disorganisation, even though we're probably more organised than ever before. Um, an example of that would be uh, we have a, a big whiteboard up on the wall in our family living area and it has uh, the next six weeks mapped out on it and everything that is going to occur in the next six weeks needs to go on that board if it's not on the board it's not <laughs> happening <laughs> you, know, you should have put that on the board um so scheduling is i guess really important you know and especially as families grow you know we all have uh friends and hobbies and interests and needs and and things commitments that we have to fulfill uh, and we're trying to do that with limited resources. And so for families, working out actually the importance of scheduling and talking about scheduling is really, I guess, an important first step. Sure. Um, establishing common expectations. You know, uh, what actually does getting things right look like? Um, you know, an example that, uh, that always sort of stands out for me, when Elijah, our eldest, was very, very little, you know, just uh, only just a, a toddler, um, Karen went back to work on a Saturday morning and she said to me, she said, look, you know, every day during the week you go to work and, and I get up and I feed Elijah and dress him and change him and get him ready for the day. But, um, but on Saturdays, it'd be really great when I'm getting ready for work, if you could be the one who, you know, gets up and gets him dressed and uh, changes mm. him and, and gets his breakfast. And I thought, sure, that's no problems at all. I'd be happy to do that. And so, yeah. uh, so the very first Saturday comes along and uh, Karen gets up and she goes off to work and I get up and, and I give Elijah his breakfast and I go to get him dressed and uh, I'm not sure um, what clothes to sort of put on him. And, uh, but, you know, those ones over there, they look clean, so I, I put them on him. And, uh, and Karen comes home from work and she walks through the door and the first words out of her mouth are, why did you put those clothes on him? There is, like, good clothes. There is best clothes. He's just outside him playing in the sand. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. definitely did not get that run right, you know. So uh, so the next week I thought, all right, do not put the good clothes on the kid. So uh, <laughs> next Saturday, um, Karen goes off to work and I get up, get a larger breakfast and I'm thinking, don't put the good clothes on him. And I look over and I see some clothes and I kind of think, oh, they look like kind of like they're not, you know, the good clothes sort of thing. So I put them on him and yeah. And uh, and uh, I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. I got the job right this time. And Karen comes home and uh, and she walks in the door and she goes, "Why'd you put those clothes on him? He's been wearing them all week. Can't you see they're dirty?" <laughs> and I'm thinking, 
I can't win here. And yeah. um, and so the next week, uh, you know, I uh, Karen went off to work and um, and I got up and got Elijah dressed and I thought, you know, if I put the good clothes on, I get in trouble. If I put the the not good clothes on, I get in trouble. Like, you know, he's happy in his pajamas. I'm happy in his yeah. pajamas. He can just stay in his pajamas. And Karen, of yeah. course, came home and that definitely wasn't the right solution to the problem. Oh, I thought you were going to say third time lucky. You got it right. No, unfortunately, I did not get it right. <laughs> Leaving you in pajamas. But I guess, you know, this is the challenge, right? We, when we sort of come up with solutions to problems, um, you know, in our head, we have a, a sort of like a psychological agreement about what we think good looks like, you know, what a clean toilet looks like or what a clean d- dining room table looks like or what being home on time looks like or, you know, those sorts of things. But that, yeah. I guess that agreement only exists inside of our head. You know, that often it, it takes a while for us to have a few conversations about what does good look like? What does getting this right sort of look like? <clears throat> and I think the, the third thing that helps with this is, um, is recognising that and having a sort of a healthy attitude that sort of identifies that the person in my family is not the problem. The problem is the problem. You know, sometimes when we come up with solutions to, to situations in our home, we sort of come up with a, a plan that requires one person to sort of do the solution. Um, you know, let's say you're trying to work out, you know, the, you only have to forget the bin on rubbish day a couple of times to realise, all right, one person, this has got to be their responsibility and they will remember and that way it'll get remembered. Um, yes, and, uh, and then it only takes a few times for that, the bin still to forget to go out. And then we sort of define the problem as the person. And we kind of go, well, you know, and that person sort of maybe feels guilty as well. And they kind of go, oh, well, I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. And they keep forgetting. And we don't realize that maybe actually the problem isn't the person here. The problem is that the solution just doesn't work. And so instead of trying the same solution that doesn't work over and over again and expecting a different outcome, we should identify a new solution. You know, instead of sort of beating that person up and saying, I thought you were supposed to take the rubbish out, what we should instead do is go, Maybe we should give this job to somebody else. Maybe we should put a, an alarm on our phone that reminds us to take the rubbish out on those days or, you know, maybe we should take it out the day before the day that it's due so that, you know, we've got 24 hours to make sure that we remember to do it. Um, but actually, instead of defining the, the problem as a person, actually sort of thinking, all right, this is a situation and the solution that we're using at the moment isn't working, so we need to come up with something different. Um, certainly can take the sting out of those conversations when we stop blaming people and we realise, yes. okay, this is a situation that's tricky and we're trying to work out a solution to it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, we've talked a bit about uh, moments of disharmony and or, or even organised families can experience uh, disharmony. have got friends who um, have been together for many years and uh, I won't mention names, obviously, but his uh, responsibility yes. was to pay the bills um, and <laughs> often... He'd miss paying the bills and they'd get uh, follow-up notices. And this went on for years. And it always used to bemuse me that uh, they didn't sort of look for the solution. Um, she would get cross with him and he would say, I'll, I'll fix it next time. But it was never fixed and it was, went on for years. I mean, they're still together, so something must be working. But he forgets to pay the bills. Yeah. And I think this is a common example. It's, uh, and sometimes the reality is the solution is just too hard. Um, to do for the for whoever is sort of has that responsibility, it's actually unfair to sort of keep blaming them. Like an example would be, say, um, you know, Karen used to sort of say to me, like, you know, it's quite hard, you know, with a big family if I'm home late, you know, after yeah. six, after six o'clock. 
And uh, and so, you know, what we realized is that actually we needed a way in which I get home on time to be able to, to help parents. Um, and so for a while, the solution was, oh, I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. And, you know, for a week it might work or two weeks. And then before you know, we slip back into the same problem. And I think probably most couples have one or two issues that seem to just come up month and month after month, despite their best efforts to try and solve them. <clears throat> and, uh, and they kind of keep saying to that person, we need to try harder. You need to try harder. But maybe actually what we need to do is try smarter. And, you know, what mm. we realized is that actually uh, if we sort of said, well, look, you know, we limit it to one night a week, which I come home late. And that way I can fit those things, meetings and, and clients around that particular day. And that took the pressure off the other days to be able to be home on time. And on the nights that Karen knew that I was going to be late, well, she would schedule a day around that. She'd plan dinner for a little bit later in the, the evening and, and things worked out much better. But um, when we stop sort of blaming people and we kind of go, all right, this is a problem. We've been struggling with this for a while. Maybe we need a different solution. Uh, certainly that's healthier. And it protects the relationship. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a very good point. And these friends uh, of ours who keep um, blaming each other for not paying bills, they, they would have been better sitting down, uh, finding a solution, even swapping roles or trying something different. But uh, it is bemusing that uh, many years later, the, the, the same problem is still going around in a circle. They're still arguing about it. I know. Oh, still arguing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes actually it takes a little bit of patience, right? You know, in the sense that... Uh, John Gottman argues that maybe as many as 60% of the issues that couples argue about actually never get resolved. They just work out a way to love one another. And I think, you know, that's probably true on a lot of family-based issues because, you know, um, if you can just endure for long enough, the problem goes away. You know, dirty nappies aren't dirty nappies forever. Eventually, they just stop. You know, tantruming toddlers aren't tantruming toddlers forever. Eventually, they just stop. Moody yeah. teenagers aren't moody teenagers forever. Eventually, they just stop. You know, if we can yeah. just hang in there long enough and keep loving one another, we'll actually get through this. That's uh, right. Certainly, better yeah. solutions probably work well, better in most situations. That's right. I mean, life can be a bit of a minefield. Families can be a bit of a minefield. It's a matter of sidestepping and watching where you where you go at times. I think. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Derek, um, recapping some of the key points uh, from work life balance. Yeah, I guess uh, there's a few things that sort of stand out. I guess the first is that, you know, that sometimes working, establishing work-life balance can be almost impossible to do, uh, mainly because work is absolutely necessary for family life uh, and too much work will obviously interfere with family life and families are constantly changing at different stages of their life. So it's always a process of renegotiation. That actually what we should really strive, strive for is uh, work-life harmony, knowing that these are all parts of our life um, we need to find a way of having these different elements in our life in a way that works um, to make us happy and fulfilled. And knowing that some days things are going to be busier than, than other days, but if that we have harmony, then we know that all of those needs are met and worked out in time. Uh, and there are some simple strategies that can help with that. You know, talking about common expectations, talking about the things that are important to us, especially when we're feeling a bit of frustration inside and recognizing uh, within ourselves and our relationships. Uh, the signs that show up when harmony isn't there, when we're feeling a bit of disharmony inside of us, and uh, and recognizing that you know almost every problem can be solved if we focus on it as a situation rather than being a person that's the problem. And of course, I think the main thing is as we try to work that out, and knowing our families are constantly changing, so it's always being renegotiated. We need to be really patient with one another. We need to be forgiving of one another when we make mistakes and we don't always get it right. And we need to recognize that sometimes that disharmony 
it's actually a prompt for change. It's actually a prompt to say, okay, our family's growing, it's changing, its needs are different now, and how are we going to respond to that? What can we do? Uh, thanks for that, uh, Derek. Now, our next focus session is on faith and spirituality, and I believe uh, you've got another special guest lined up for us. I do. Uh, I'm hoping Karen will join us for that session, so you'll uh, you'll be able to hear the other half of this relationship. Uh, certainly, this is an area that uh, Karen and I are really passionate about, and I think when uh, couples and families are open to exploring, I guess, the deeper meanings and questions of life and uh, through spirituality and faith, um, certainly they can discover you know new ways of connecting uh, with one another and uh, and new aspects about who they are in relationship to the people that uh, that they love. So uh, we're sort of excited about uh, being able to be here together as a couple to join you in this conversation, David. No, I can't wait either. It'd be nice to talk to Karen and see if uh, you're both on the same page. I'm sure you will be. <laughs> Derek, thank you again. You're very welcome. Thank you, David.